Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Director's Cut, your one-stop shop for all the latest trends and discussion on all matters relating to sport and exercise science, strength and conditioning, and healthy living. I am your host, Tim Hanway, the Sports Performance Director here at Stack Velocity Norwood. I am joined by Coach Chris Rice and Steve Calarco, and it's another beautiful autumn sunny day, and we are excited, or should I say not excited, but we are privileged to be able to talk about... Um, I guess I would call it kind of a breaking news story in kind of our field. And here in Massachusetts, um, it came to light that uh, some coaches uh, were effectively dismissed due to using a particular exercise known as a bear crawl. And, you know, this is something that has kind of definitely caused some waves within our field, especially on a lot of online forums and, and platforms. And, you know, given the fact that, you know, we use this exercise, we see a lot of benefit from this exercise. You know, I, I certainly want to get some other opinions from, you know, coaches in the field on kind of your thoughts about this. You know, is the bear crawl being unfairly vilified and just kind of what does this do to us as, as professionals and as an industry? I mean, Chris, why don't I start off with you? I mean, you did a seminar slash, you know, video tutorial on the bear crawl, you know, kind of outlining the benefits. So, I mean, where do you see a bear crawl fit into a strength and conditioning program? So, for me, I think the bear crawl is a key component of any type of strength and conditioning program. I can see a lot of benefits and progressions from it. So, whether it's teaching an athlete, you know, more pelvic control, core control, stabilizing their shoulders and just being able to distribute their body weight left and right and also upper and lower half. Again, if you're able to progress into the full crawl with integrity, I see a huge carryover into athletic performance. And like you said, we did a video about like a week or two ago just underlining you know, all those principles and how it's done correctly. And I feel that if it's done in a safe manner, you're going to get a lot out of it for your overall development as an athlete or a client for that nature. Yeah, I mean, I think that you say a lot there, Chris. And, you know, just like anything, I think more is coming to light kind of with this story. But, you know, some of the initial kind of uh, news reports were basically just pointing specifically to this exercise. And, you know, I mean, I almost caught myself the other day. You know, I was about to have a group use it, and I almost – stopped. And, you know, that's something that kind of scares me as a coach. I mean, I never want to have a parental advisory on any of the drills that I do. But, you know, for all the reasons you just listed, you know, whether it be core control, postural integrity, you know, we see a, a transfer over to, to speed and acceleration mechanics. You know, it, it just kind of boggles my mind that, you know, this really benign exercise is, is somehow being vilified in the media. I, everything... Things need to be put into context, right? And, uh, you know, the pendulum always swings both ways, right? And I, especially in, and I'm sure Chris will agree with me, but it all comes down to education, right? Like what, you know, explaining to the client, explaining to the athlete, explaining to the athlete's parents um, in the case of doing things at our facility is educating them on why we're doing it, how it carries over, um, what benefit it has to their particular sport or their athletic development or their fitness goals, so on and so forth. Um, but then, you know, you may have a coach that does all those things, the right things, 
Um, and then you have sport coaches who use certain exercises as a form of conditioning or punishment or, you know, whatever, and always tend to take things too far. I think that, you know, we were just reviewing some news articles beforehand, but Chris was reading, I guess this was like full metal jacket ish. And, um, the coach, uh, possibly had some of the athletes blindfolded and, you know, yelling at them and, or, quote-unquote using motivational tactics but like does it really need to be taken that far like are you just you know is this just at that point is there any benefit to it or are you just using it as a form of conditioning or punishment or you saw it on youtube like most strength and conditioning coaches and you think it's you know um immediately applicable to um you know your athletes and your program so on and so forth so i think context um you know, means everything. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely, you know, a huge part of this. And, you know, I mean, no, none of us were, of course, there, you know, and, and I think you do have to look at, you know, certainly the context of it. And, you know, as we just mentioned, there's, there's more coming to light. But this also, you know, ties into some of the themes that, you know, we personally discussed when we had our last podcast, which is, you know, whether it be conditioning, whether it be, you know, any form of training, you know, do, do you understand, you know, why you're doing a particular intervention? You know, are you running someone just for the sake of running them? Or are is there a specific physical quality that you're trying to train? You know, so I mean, I think you always have to, again, be able to justify, have a why to what it is you're, you're doing, first and foremost. I mean, I, I just think that is such a central part of our, of our profession. And measure risk and reward, right? Like, yeah. So, but perfect example, right? Like, if... If like, could you could you blindfold a bunch of was it high school or middle school? I think it was girls? high school. Okay, all right. Could you blindfold a bunch of high school girls, putting them in a quadruped position, and have parents come to the field? And could you justify what you were doing? Probably not. You know what I mean? Nope. Like, I, like I couldn't. You know what I mean? So you know, uh, I just don't. I don't think people. I sometimes coaches get into the. Um, you know, you don't realize you said something messed up until after after you said it or it was too late. Mm-hmm. You know, as he looks back now, he's probably like, okay, that was not the best move. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think especially if that was the case, and I think, you know, you, you do always have to look at perception. And even if, uh, you know, this coach had the most well-meaning intentions, and, you know, I would argue he, he probably did, uh, you know, was the execution flawed. And yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you, you have to look at risk and reward. And, you know, another point that you just made, which I think is so interesting, you know, I'm in, I'm in the process of just reviewing some of the work from Daniel Pink, I believe his name is. And he kind of wrote that book, you know, to sell is, uh, to, sell is to be human or something like that. I think I just butchered that title. Uh, but anyway, you know, one of the main premises that we are always selling something, you know, even if you are not in sales. So like if we're working with athletes, I'm trying to sell them on the merit of an exercise. You know, they're coming to me. They, they want to be a, a better football player. And I'm, you know, putting a weight in their hand and I'm having them do some squat pattern or something, which on the surface might not have any relation to football as far as they're concerned. But I think our job as coaches and practitioners is to sell them on the benefits. If you do this, this is going to have a direct or indirect impact on your football performance. You know, so case in point, if we're looking at this exercise, if we are using a bear crawl and, you know, let's assume again, you know, it's, it's completely innocuous, you know, we're not 
doing anything that's going to make someone feel uncomfortable. I mean, we're just employing the exercise as we do in this center. But again, if we can sell it to our athletes, this is why we do this exercise. This is how it's going to help you run faster. This is how it's going to help you jump higher. This is how it's going to help you reduce injury. I, I do think you're right. Context is huge. But I think you know setting clear expectations and always tying it back to, to an athlete's goals is, is huge. And if you miss the mark on any of those, you know, you could be the best coach, but I think something's not going to resonate. And in this clear example, you know, the extreme end of the pendulum, I guess really bad things can happen. Right. And I mean, like, I don't know if I can see the direct um, correlation to blindfolded bear crawls and soccer performance. No, not at all. I mean, just even the blindfold itself, too, it's like, you know, everything we do in the weight room or on the turf, again, like Tim just said, um, it's going to have some direct correlation to your athletic performance, whether it is performing a squad, a two-point stance acceleration start, any type of core work, there is a reason behind what we are doing and why we are doing this. In that scenario, it's like, you know, for me, it is uh, the exercise, if done correctly, you know, like I said, you know, just teaching better core control, being able to have better positioning with your hips, and, you know, those are two factors that are key for success of any athlete regardless of their sport but you know perception like we just going over it matters and if I'm a parent and I'm seeing you know like my kids being blindfolded if I'm having you know like a visual of seeing my kid having tennis balls thrown at their face for no reason again just a random example like you know I'm going to think to myself what is going on right here and if I as a coach whatever scenario it is like I don't know, know how I could back that up yeah, and you know, just just as you guys were saying this, I mean, I have seen things like this employed in sports settings, but albeit with mature, fully grown professionals. So, you know, one of the things when I was working in the UK, I know a lot of professional rugby teams would actually, um, in the off season, take the team to like military bases and basically have like military personnel like work out the team, but have them do all these team building exercises. They might get blindfolded. They might have to like solve problems, you know, figure out how to carry a huge heavy log across a field. And, you know, the whole point is you're, you're taking players in a complete alien environment. And, you know, I would argue it's almost as much kind of mental toughness training, I guess. But, you know, keep in mind these are fully mature, you know, men in this case. They understand, you know, they understand kind of the value of it. You know, on the flip side, I remember Connor O'Shea from our team, he actually had players do stand-up comedy. Had nothing to do with athletic performance, but, you know, his rationale, he discusses it in a, in a really good TED Talk that you can find online. Um, you know, he wanted to put the players in such an alien environment so that if the time came where they had to compete, you know, in a championship game, you know, they're, they're almost comfortable with being uncomfortable. But like I said, in, in my opinion, I think these are very advanced strategies and it's based on assumptions that there's a certain level of maturity and understanding that your athletes have. So, you know, playing devil's advocate here, maybe this approach could be justified, but to your point, Steve, with young female athletes, mm, risk reward, I just, I, I don't know. And I think, un unfortunately, this clearly was not the right call by the sound of things. Uh, I mean, you know, like you said, maybe his heart is in the right place and he did have something to justify it. Like we were saying, you know, again, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is key. You know, just not even just athletics, but even just your overall life too, just being able to instill confidence self-esteem and be able to know that you have the capacity to do X, Y, and Z. But 
you know, again, um, if you're not able to, you know, get that perception across and be able to educate your athletes on why you're doing this, they're not going to take it the correct way. And as coaches and practitioners, like, we need to continuously be telling our athletes and clients, you know, why we are doing this. And if we're doing a progression, regression, lateralization, again, there has to be a reason behind it, and they need to understand fully. Right. And, I mean, even still, like, somebody, like, you talk about high school girls or, you know, younger, younger athletes. Anyways, like, what do these kids really need? Do you know what I mean? Like, do they need to, you know, work on all of these, you know, blindfolded visual type things um, or doing bear crawls in a fatigue state? No, they need they need a solid foundation. They need to be prepared for what, um, you know, uh, the strength and conditioning coach at the next level is going to ask them to do. And I would argue that this is completely out of the wheelhouse or, you know what I mean, not necessary for them to do. Do you know what I mean? Um and then conditioning people to fatigue in a fatigued state um, is is a whole other animal that we don't really need to discuss. But, um, you know, teaching. Uh, um, I could probably almost bet that none of them could probably bear crawl perfectly, anyways. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? And and having and having them do it at the end of a practice, you know, with some coach like yelling at them, I could just you know. Um, it almost gives you like flashbacks to like old boot camp, like fitness boot camp type, <laughs> type videos with just yeah. some person like screaming at you like you could do it, you could do it. That just doesn't make sense. And we also know that you know athletes, just as any people, you know, respond differently to different stresses. I mean, we all seen it. You know, I mean, you have some of those athletes that thrive on that adversity, that thrive with someone screaming in their face, and others that just literally shut down. And, you know, they get to a point where they're afraid to put one, you know, put their own foot forward. And it absolutely paralyzes them in, in, in their athletics. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's probably a lot of young athletic careers that are cut short just because they have not the best coaches. Um, but, you know, it's it's a challenge. Uh, you know, Chris, will continue chatting. You know, Steve, thanks so much for the input. That's Thank Steve Calarico, Again, our favorite uh, Connecticut man. Certainly be back. But... Um, you know, Chris, just kind of bringing it back to the to the bear crawl it, itself, because you know, like I said, I think one of the things that kind of frightens me is, you know, when you read a headline and you know what's really just reference is this exercise, and you know now people are labeling it potentially as being inappropriate without even knowing what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you gave us a good kind of description of of what it is, but you know, why don't you walk the audience through like if you had to verbally kind of. Um, describe how it's performed uh you know kind of what is it going a little bit deeper we know some of the benefits but like kind of walk us through the movement itself yeah so for the bear crawl you're literally just on your hands and knees your hands underneath your shoulders your knees underneath your hips you're in a nice neutral spine again we're trying to build integrity right here so whether that is getting better stabilization through our shoulders our hips you know, you name it. So with the bear crawl, you're literally about an inch off the ground. And one thing I see a lot of times, whether it is from a client who has poor movement quality or a coach who does not know the basis of the exercise, you'll see a lot of athletes will be so high up in the air, mm-hmm. will be shifting left and right their hips, a lot of rotation. They're not doing it with integrity. If you're doing a bear crawl, you're literally probably an inch or two off the ground and you're taking very, very slow and controlled steps, opposite arm, opposite leg, and 
you know, if you're able to do that with integrity for just even 10 yards, it's a very, very challenging movement. Just being able to stabilize on one arm and one leg while the other is moving forward. It's a very, very challenging concept. It's going to really, again, fatigue you in terms yeah. of challenging your core and your breathing overall too. So, you know, if I'm able to do that movement correctly and have Nathy do that correctly, again, I'm going to see a huge increase in, again, core control and being able to stabilize a lot more efficiently. And I can be able to progress them into different movements, such as different plank variations, different, you know, quote-unquote ab exercises. But, again, we're trying to build a foundation here, and this is a movement that I see a lot of value in. Yeah, and, you know, ironically, of course, our, our main uh, DNS and PRI guy just kind of left the room. But, you know, I think what I like about this bear crawl movement, especially when it's used in conjunction with some of the rhythmic breathing activities that we do, is, you know, it really promotes joint centration. You know, and just kind of for the audience, just to try to grossly simplify this, it's, it's making sure that, you know, your joints are basically doing what they're supposed to do. That, you know, the articulating surface, you know, so if we're talking about, for instance, the shoulder, you know, that head of the humerus is, you know, sitting in that glenoid fossa, you know, in the right way. It's not being pulled forward or kind of being pulled out of position by other uh, muscles due to kind of gross imbalances or just poor neuromuscular kind of function. And I think what I really like about the bear crawl is, you know, now we're on all fours, just as you mentioned, you know, we're in a neutral spine. And, you know, the big thing we're discussing, again, is kind of spinal mechanics. So, you know, whether you're an athlete that's trapped in more of this spinal extension or spinal flexion, you know, we're trying to promote neutrality. And we see how that has a knock-on effect on movement qualities, on speed, agility, strength training. You know, if your body is spending all this energy just trying to get itself moving right, you're, you're leaving, you're, you're losing potential when it comes to actually building strength and power and the things that we classically associate with sports performance. But what I also like too, and I remember kind of um, reading about it, I think it was actually listening to another podcast, is especially when we talk about a lot of young male athletes, you know, your typical high school kind of male athlete meathead who does nothing but bench press. So now, you know, they're lying flat, their spine is basically kind of fixed, you know, and now they're trying to kind of do this exercise and it's, it's, it's in theory the arms, the shoulders, you know, those are what are mobile. Whereas when we're in this position, I would argue, you know, every time you take that kind of step with the bear crawl, you know, now you're getting stability through the shoulders and it's your spine that is kind of regaining some of this mobility as a consequence. And, you know, if one of our mantras is give our athletes what they're not getting, it, it, it ticks so many boxes. Yep. And I guess for me, you know, that is, like I said, what, what I just find just troubling is we have a clear example of such a useful tool and you know due to context just like Steve mentioned you know now there might be some parents some coaches who are no longer going to use this tool because there's some sort of negative association with it and you know that for me is is terrifying as a coach and this is another reason why I wanted to kind of get a roundtable discussion on this because it is a good exercise but we need to do it under the appropriate circumstances. We need to make sure our athletes are comfortable. We need to make sure that you know we as coaches are selling the value of it um, because I never want to be in a position where I can't use an exercise because it has an unfair reputation. Exactly. And you know it's very, very unfortunate that you know, not that it was the exercise I was using. It could have been any exercise, but because the way it could have been executed again, we were not on the field, we do not know what happened, but, yeah. you know, the, quote-unquote, the way it was executed, the way it was done, and the way parents reacted to it, 
again, it could have been any other exercise, but the fact that this is getting such negative feedback is, you know, terrifying to us as coaches that this may be a tool that we cannot use. And for me personally, you know, I'll program the bear crawl into almost every one of my athletes' phases, so to speak, because I see the value in it, whether, it, again, it's, you know, for stabilization, and even Tim was even talking about this earlier, too, even just overall breathing, getting kids out of extension, getting their abs to fire, <clears throat> turning their quads off. There's so much benefit with this movement, and, you know, for me, like, I don't want to have an exercise that I cannot program because of just a negative perception and a falsely accused profession, uh, excuse me, perception. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, I think as coaches and practitioners, we do just have to support one another. You know, again, we weren't there. You know, we can't, you know, comment on too much. We Just like anyone else, we can only go off of kind of what we're reading and, and what we're hearing. Um, but, you know, I think education is everything. And, you know, I think we have to protect ourselves as professionals. You know, I think we do have to realize that, you know, we are always being watched. So just as Steve said, you know, you have to be able to justify it. And I have no doubt that these coaches in, in question are, are probably very well-meaning. You know, I mean, just to work with any athlete at, at any level, it takes a lot of compassion and a lot of um, just, just support and, and passion in general. You know, unfortunately, you know, the execution in this, in this particular instance just might not have been appropriate. And, you know, I think unfortunately that is, that has resulted in, in some jobs being lost. But, you know, I think what we can do is, is learn from this experience as a profession, use it to hopefully galvanize ourselves and, you know, ensure that we're still providing the best service to our athletes and that we still have the right to choose particular exercises. You know, that, that's certainly what I want to get out of this. Yeah. And even speaking on that too, athletes and clients come first. Mm -hmm. and you should not limit your toolbox at all. Whichever tool can get the job done, do not be afraid to use it. Plain and simple. Yeah, no, totally agreed. And, you know, as, as I discussed in a previous podcast, I mean, I love that toolbox analogy because that's what we want to do is we want to provide our athletes with the tools and the skills necessary so that when they are in a competitive situation, they can draw upon that. They can draw upon the strength that they developed in the weight room. They can draw upon the power. They can draw upon the cutting ability, um, the stopping ability, the accelerating, recelerating ability. You know, and these are skills that, again, you do not get from sport participation alone. You need a qualified coach to be able to teach you and to be able to guide you. I mean, that's really what a coach is if you really kind of, you know, get fancy with kind of, you know, the breakdown of the word and the origin of the word. But, um, you know, as a field, we're going to continue to grow and evolve. And I think all we can do is just kind of grow from this experience, you know, metaphorically speaking as well as literally. Um, and, yeah, and we'll see certainly, I guess, kind of what pans out with this story. Um, anything else you want to add before we uh, close her down? No, I think we probably covered all bases. Um, again, just – as coaches, you know, always be mindful of how your athletes and how their parents, how your clients are perceiving things. Make sure you are being justified with your approach. And again, do not afraid, do not be afraid to coach the way you're supposed to coach. You cannot be paralyzed by fear. And, you know, fear is good. Do not let it control you. Yep. Never. No. Great advice. Well, again, that will do us for another episode of the Director's Cut. Thanks for listening. We'll certainly keep you updated on this story if uh, any new revelations occur. But I'm Tim Hanway. This is Chris Rice, and great to have you. Look forward to seeing you again. Thanks.